Hello and welcome. My name is Joe O'Mara. I'm the Head of Aviation Finance with KPMG. And on behalf of KPMG and Ireland Economics, I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Iarchi. Mark is a partner with World Star Aviation. Mark is sharing his thoughts with today for the purposes of our leaders report. And I should say we are recording this on the 8th of November in Singapore. Um, Mark, thanks so much for joining us for the discussion. Um, before we get to the topics, would you mind telling our watchers a little bit about World Star Aviation? Sure. So first of all, thanks and uh, delighted. This is the second time we're doing this. Last time was uh, over the phone. As That's right. To all sitting together. Nice so to be back this, in person. This, this is a lot better. So um, we, um, so for lack of a better explanation, Wellstar is a mid-size, mid-life lessor. We are, you know, like everybody else, um, globally present. Uh, we're based out of London, but with teams in various places. Uh, including a, a growing office in uh, Lisbon. Uh, most of our fleet is midlife packs, but uh, we have four strategies. We have midlife packs, we have stub leases to part out, we have a growing freighter strategy, and a green time engine pool. Um, so those are the four pillars. Um, we're very metal focused, um, which effectively means that we don't focus on the new end of the, spe of the spectrum, where quite frankly, there's not much you can do in terms of the metal. So, you know, we'd be bored buying brand new aircraft with 12 years of literally praying for residual values to hold, and that's not what we do, so. And, and can I ask you then, what have you seen, you know, we're ch chatting a lot about the recovery and what we've seen has been a very strong bounce back. Um, as I say, we're, we're sitting here in Singapore mm -hmm. the first time I've been east in three years, like a lot of people. So we're seeing a strong recovery. Can I get your thoughts on how you've seen that evolve uh, over the course of the year mm -hmm. and just what opportunities that's driving for you guys? So I think clearly there is a recovery and you can see it in terms of numbers of aircraft uh, still parked, which is reducing. Uh, narrow body fleet in particular is uh, extremely active. Uh, and, and, and growing so. Um, US started, Europe followed, uh, Asia is finally starting to get back uh, together. Um, Transatlantic is, 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 is doing extremely well. Um, you know, Pan-Asian, not yet so, but, but will, will for sure get back to where it was. There's no reason why it wouldn't. Um, and, you know, and it's evidence again, you try and, try and get a, a space on any flight pretty much anywhere you want to try and go and everything's full and prices are three times what they were last year. So. And, and from an opportunities perspective then, what demand are you seeing in the market coming out of that bounce back? So we, we're seeing that most airlines are focusing very much on, their, on the delivery of their new aircraft how those are delayed or otherwise, particularly delayed, we've seen there's still massive delays, cumulative delays effectively, of aircraft that weren't built during the COVID period, both on the Airbus side, even more so on the Boeing side, given MAX and 787 issues. Um, and so we're also seeing, while at the same time, many airlines are continuing to introduce new aircraft, they're also continuing to extend their NGs and CEOs because they have to. 
Um, they're also having issues in terms of availability of their own aircraft, given <coughs> the continued dislocation at the MRO level, both from a frame perspective and particularly on the engine side. I mean, demand for engines is uh, functioning engines is at an all-time high, given massive delays at the engine MROs. And if you kind of that speaks to opportunities that are there, can maybe just talk to some of the headwinds for a moment, right? So. We're in an environment of inflation like we haven't seen mm -hmm. before, a volatile and rising interest rate environment. Um, we're seeing US dollar cause issues for some carriers, right, and given uh, their nature. Um, uh, and, and how challenging is that making kind of medium term planning when you're trying to get transactions done at the moment? There seems to be anecdotally a little bit of a clog in the market, right, because of this uncertainty. I think it would not be unfair to say that on virtually each of the key drivers there's been complete dislocation in the last five years and all of the ones you mentioned and more. So you look at pretty much every item on, on airlines balance sheets and every single one of them is being thrown upside down in the last few years and it's, it's, it's you know, I have massive sympathy for airlines in terms of the difficulties that they are facing. They don't know where things are going to be in a year or two years or three years time. I mean, they try to get back together for a proper summer schedule and airports weren't ready. Uh, of course, the, the governments that own the airports blame the airlines, um, but you know, it's just politics. But in terms of where, where they need to go, I know there's massive demand for flying, even though there will be a recession. I don't think it's going to dampen that massively. Um, so demand for flying means they need to get aircraft ready with crews and everything else that comes with it. So they need to really focus uh, on where that goes. I think the massive increase in ticket prices should, in my opinion, more than overcompensate for the increase in uh, oil prices. I don't know that that's a massive it's as big as a driver as um, as people complain about. And, and maybe honing in on one of those uncertainties is, is the interest rate piece. Mm -hmm. From a lessor perspective, how challenging is this environment where, where we have rate rises, but a bit of uncertainty as to where they're going? Mm -hmm. So when we model our, our purchases, um, we're finding ourselves with cost of debt that is rising literally by, by the week or the month. Um, we looked at something in September with a 7% cost of debt and it's now 950. Um, so clearly that means that we got to pay less. Um, so people who bought aircraft in the last year or two and who need to refinance are probably going to struggle more than others. And are you seeing an uptick then in lease rate factors that would be the logical follow. There's always been a slight so lag. Mathematically, right? lease rates go up or the purchase price of the aircraft goes down and it's one or the other. And what are you seeing? I think we're seeing both. Yeah. Um, and feeding that in maybe more broadly on the debt side, you know, what avenues are you seeing available, right? So have, have we seen there was, there was a feeling at the start of COVID we maybe saw the aviation banks retrench slightly. Mm -hmm. They seem to have come back to the that market more broadly. Yet. No. Yeah. I mean, look, the 
lessor industry did not grind to a hold um, in after the uh, after the banking crisis of 078 um, when effectively most of the banks stopped lending to the aviation industry and the business didn't grind to a hold. I mean, people were still raising money. A lot of deals were being done with equity only. Uh, returns were higher, but things were still happening. Uh, now that is definitely available in as, as, as large quantity as you want, just at a, at a higher rate. That's it. And the providers of that debt, traditional aviation banks, we've also seen Probably in the last two years, yeah, the alternative new lenders. Yeah, new lenders. Can, can I get your thoughts on that space? And is it something you see that will be an increasing and recurring trend? So, as we look to fund our own deals, um, we now obviously also turn to the alternative lenders for quotes and terms. Um, because most of them are have much more of a lessor background, uh, even though they're lenders, they have much more of a lessor background. They understand that they don't necessarily need to be constrained by appraisals. Um, interestingly enough, some of them don't even have to to uh, they don't even have swap costs on their own funding. Which is interesting because you can you can pay down debt without swap breakage cost. It makes it interesting. Uh, they can be more flexible in some ways, and so I think it's a nice a nice addition to 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 the space. I think it's uh, it adds to the choices that we may have um, when we look to fund assets. Um, doesn't mean we need to use them, but you know, but uh, it's it's there, it's available, and you know, we have no issue with it. I mean. And can, can I get your thoughts maybe on the asset-backed securitization market? So we saw that market bounce back, maybe surprisingly strongly in 21, mm -hmm. um, but a very sentiment-driven market. We saw post-Russia probably one transaction and, and nothing since, mm -hmm. right? Just get your thoughts on where that market sits and the importance in it reopening to, to really push you know, a, a strong and robust trading environment. Yeah, I mean, we, we were the last... Uh, three tranche ABS uh, in that was when we that was in November two thousand twenty one. Um, I guess that made it easier to get the deal of the the deal of the year award that we received in New York two weeks ago as we were the only one, but uh, we got it anyway, which was great, and we're very happy with that. But um, look, I and I've said this in public many times before. I felt that people saying, and we sell through the ABS market, I always thought that was, I, I never liked that expression because to me the ABS is simply another form of debt where you buy a portfolio, you have an equity component and a debt portfolio and a debt component. If you're able to, to, to play with appraisers and structure in order to get all your money out and then leaving everybody else, pushing all the risk out to other people, I've never quite liked that, and I thought the structures that came out in the last 18 months were healthier. Um, and as a debt investor, I think you want to know that you've got an equity investor behind it who, who supports the deal and who will have pain if the deal doesn't perform. Um, and so for me, the structure that we saw in 2021 
was better than the pre-COVID ones. Um, and I think once the interest rate cycle readjusts and people understand that, you know, they won't need to buy a bond today only to see trade at 90 cents in a month uh, from now, I think people will, th this market will reopen. Yeah, I'm pretty I, sure of it. Yeah, Because the, the, the single waterfall structure of the ABS model is, is, is inherently extraordinarily flexible and helpful to, a, a, to finance a port, a, a, is a, a ring, ring fence portfolio. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Does it need to go up to 85, 90 cents per percent LTV? You know, it doesn't need to do that. Um, that doesn't change the fact that it's flexible and it works well. And, and maybe looking then specifically at the investor environment, have you seen any trends on the investor population coming in aviation post-COVID? Or is it similar type, the names change, but similar types of investors, just obviously you would spend a lot of time in the, you know, chatting to investors. Have you seen any interesting trends? Okay, the bond investors are sitting on their hands for now, but the names are the same. They haven't really changed. It's not a particularly huge universe. I mean, when you go and market an ABS, for example, it's not, it's not like other bonds where you can market them to a thousand possible investors. It's maybe 50, 60 people. That's all it is. These guys are not playing right now, so they're not there. Now they'll come back. I'm pretty sure they will. Equity investors? Nope. I haven't necessarily seen a whole new demography of investors coming into the space. They're pretty much the same type of individuals um, or investors. Um, um, you know, one firm or another, some more, some less, but more broadly speaking, the same people. Um, and the same, whether you look at Japan or Korea or whatever, they're the same people. They, they have periods where they buy more and buy less, but um, that's about it. And that probably feeds into your, your perception of aircraft as an asset class. We've, we've seen a significant maturing probably over the last decade, and, and that's backed up by things like the ABS market, things like the unsecured bond issuances mm -hmm. that the IG lessors can mm -hmm. do. Um, would you have any concern where we've weathered the storm of COVID, but now we have a bunch more of uncertainty facing the market, that, that as an asset class, aircraft could be negatively impacted? Or do you believe that, that the counter to that is, we've got through this, we can get through anything? Well, we definitely came out of COVID feeling that, you know, we had weathered this most incredible storm. And I mean, look, we had an entire industry where literally somebody pulled the handbrake in the middle of the motorway and stopped from one day to the next. And yet the industry survived. Most players are still out there. Some, a bit of restructuring here and there, but broadly intact. And then we got Russia and, um, you know, now inflation and interest rates. And there is no doubt that this is affecting everybody. Do I think there's going to be blood on the walls? There will be, but that's okay. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, you the reasons why you have cycles is that it cleans things up. So I'm okay with it. And, and maybe looking at leasing from a macro perspective, you know, when you look at the long-term trend, the percentage of leased aircraft really only goes one way. Mm -hmm. and, and we saw probably a slight step change coming out of COVID, and we've seen that 50% threshold breached. Mm 
Your thoughts on the sustainability of that percentage of leased aircraft, or, or do you see it going higher? I think the airlines need to be able to continue to buy their own aircraft direct from the OEMs. Um, whether how they finance them subsequently will probably continue to be a mix. Um, I don't have a crystal ball as to whether that's 50 or 60 percent or 40 percent. You know, I think 50 percent sounds about right to me. Um, I think that's okay, it's healthy, it still leaves plenty of other opportunities open from different other uh, financing types, but uh, no. I'm, I, I think, I think it's, about, it's about fair. And, and looking at the leasing market more generally, do you, do you think scale is going to become more important? Like it's obviously, you know, scale always has importance, but do you think in the environment we're heading into that, that scale increases in importance? Look, I imagine that a air cap going to Boeing and Airbus and putting them in forward order will probably get them uh, favorable terms compared to, you know, Wellstar went and talked to Boeing about five aircraft, you know, and will probably get different terms. Do I think that that is necessarily the, uh, the key thing? No. I think scale is also helpful because if you are, you have aircraft everywhere with different people both young and old and you can you can do different trades you can have a different conversation with an airline as opposed to when you just have one aircraft there you know it's what it is talk about anything else no okay so it, it you know it, I, I think there's definitely advantages um, but that doesn't mean that there's no space for different lessors with different sizes and different strategies. I also think that smaller lessors and, you know, look, we, we are under 20 odd assets right now and you could, you could say that that's small, it's obviously bigger than we were and, and um, you know, we, we, we like the space we're in and, and how we're able to, to, to roll and how we, we some often win against bigger guys and we have to work harder and that's okay. And probably feeds in, you mentioned at the start a little bit of where your focus is from a fleet perspective. Can you expand on that a little for us and kind mm -hmm. of, you know, where, where you view kind of investable metal mm -hmm. um, and, and where your focus is and, and maybe building on that, talking to us a little bit about the play you've made in cargo. Okay. So for us, an aircraft is a piece of equipment that you effectively um, invest in to drive and derive cash flows from over a period of time. And that's what it is. And you obviously can lease it out, no reserves, no nothing for 12 years, and that's fine. But how do you derive superior returns is by continuously choosing whether to reinvest some of that cash flow in the aircraft, how you reinvest it, or not reinvested and just simply keep sucking it dry and then scrapping it. And the ability to have these choices and conversion into cargo is one of those choices is where you are able to, to derive higher returns if you know what you're doing 
and you know you work the metal harder and that's what we do that's why we're not in the front end and that's why for us is midlife all the way to end of life including cargo and um, we've always been in the cargo space it's um, it's uh, it's always been a important segment in 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 terms of the use of aircraft um, we have recently become more involved in cargo where you know we 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 were able to buy um, effectively the largest single collection of classic freighters and we didn't do that because we thought classic freighters is is the best thing to do but as a portfolio it made a lot of sense it still has very nice legs to go and it will do very well on a standalone basis but because we're also converting 737-800s it opens up an entire ability for us to talk to the freight carriers and say look we have this these couple of 400s with you we can extend them we can we can take them back and give you 800s instead it, it it changes the conversation we talked about size earlier aircap can do that across an entire variety of aircraft we can't do that but we can do it in freighters and, and that market we've seen you know a clear step up in demand coming out of covid your view on the sustainability of that step up, I think cargo has always been a little bit spiky, right? Mm -hmm. You know, demand yep. will be more volatile. Yep. Your, your thoughts on longer term, what that trend yep. will look like? So there's, 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 a, there's a view that um, I've been hearing a lot that, oh my God, everybody's converting at hundreds, there's going to be a glut. I don't think so. Uh, I think first of all, yes, there's more supply of 800s because the 800s finally become cheaper um, and it's finally getting into a price range that converted makes sense, gets you a lease rate that makes sense for the freighter operators, makes sense for everybody. Um, but it's not going to be a massive glut in the sense that, you know, there's going to be, there's, there's, I think demand for these aircraft is coming from a number of different uh, areas. You have some parts of the world that are still very significantly underserved, whether that's India, whether that's China, where there's in both places very significant demand for air cargo. You have other areas where there's a decent amount of supply, but a lot of that is in very old aircraft that need to be replaced. Um, so you have still a large um, um, classic freighter um, uh, segment that eventually is going to need to be retired. Um, and even if a recession reduces e-commerce, for example, that replacement still needs to happen. Um, so I think you know, e-commerce is here to stay. Um, it's going to continue to grow. It may slow down a bit next year. You know, I think it'll continue to grow, and the replacement of these older aircraft will need to happen. Um, so, from both, both we've got demand, we have demand that uh, that will that will maintain demand for uh, well, the the, 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 the on the both the supply and on the demand side, it will continue to be fine. Can I ask you maybe more generally in the trading environment? Um, you chat to some people, and they will say, look, the big guys are being slowed down on the OEM side. 
therefore they're divesting less. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a properly functioning trading market at the moment. Is that how you'd see it? And where do you see the trading market going in the near term? That has definitely been, so the larger guys selling less because they haven't received their new aircraft is definitely something I've heard. Um, and that may, that may or may not have been the case. Uh, we also had the fact that COVID slowed everything down. We also had the fact that last year there was pretty, pretty healthy trading anyway. Um, I think this year is going to be a little bit different in the sense that some people will be constrained and will not sell because they won't be getting the pricing that they want. So they'll keep those aircraft. And then we're going to see people who have to sell and will sell um, at lower prices than they wanted to, but because they have to. And just in closing, Mark, as we uh, sit here near the end of 2022, what are your optimism levels like? So as you look out over the next 12 months, what are your hopes and what are your expectations? Look, we... we uh, we entered into the COVID period in a decent place from our fleet perspective. We worked unbelievably hard to keep an even keel and, and, and succeeded. We refinanced a number of trades that needed to be done, including our Sprite 17 into Sprite 21 ABS, and that was good. We retooled and expanded and, 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 uh, and uh, improved uh, in terms of the uh, in-house skills, uh, we retooled internally in terms of our internal processes. So, I, I think we have a you know we have a much better machine uh, uh, in terms of, of of our skills and competencies and ability to to do things. And you know I'm feeling extremely bullish about next year. I think we're going to be doing great. We're going to have plenty of opportunities to deploy capital, and uh, no, we feel good. On that very optimistic and hopeful mm -hmm. note, Mark, I'd like to thank you for your excellent insights today and wish you and WorldStar a very successful 2023. Thank you very much. Pleasure.